listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time. Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar D. Jarnett. Not really flying solo. Got a special treat for the audience today. Uh, the extraordinary Elizabeth Fogel. And I'm trying to think of a word within, but I can't. So I'll just say the amazing Nicole Carpell as well. And um, you guys want to talk about this Chloe report. It's a big thing in higher ed, huh? Absolutely. I mean, it's this, uh, the Chloe report, for those who haven't heard of it, it is the um, changing landscape of online education report and 2021 is the sixth edition of it I believe um so Nicole if you want to give us some idea of what people should see in past Chloe reports and then we can get to the new one sure so typically it looks le- looks at higher education from the the macro level and reports out on 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 different items and I think we would all uh, agree that um, last year was probably a year like none other in, in higher education and, and the rest of the world. So some of the, the, the topics, um, you know, are, are interesting because they, they aren't normal topics that they would report on, like the pandemic will accelerate online growth. So what, what does that mean? And what do we do with that? So great um, set of topics to discuss, but I think one that we can really kind of narrow down on in there is online and what institutions are doing or not doing this year. Are they offering synchronous, asynchronous, or some combination thereof. So there's lots to lots to unpack there. Absolutely. So in China, right, when they have the new year, it's like the, the year of the dog, the year of the, the cat, the year of the rat. So it is it what appeared to me that 2020 was the year of the Chloe, maybe? <laughs> year of online, for sure. That's online. I mean, institutions who didn't even think about online had to start thinking about online. It wasn't an option. Um, We weren't able to go to school. We weren't able to get into our labs. So it really forced everyone to go in a direction that some institutions have been doing a great job at it for a very long time. So I would agree. It's definitely the year of online uh, 2020. In 2021, we can take all the good stuff we learned about it, all the stuff that we struggled through, and then make improvements for all of our institutions going into not just the rest of 2021, but 2022 and yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the last thing I'll probably say because I, I know you. I want you guys to kind of run with this, but um, this is probably my last analogy, right? Drake has a, a song when he says, "Nothing ever was the same," and and that's kind of what I think about, you know, as we kind of get out of this, you know, pandemic. Like I think those people that are thinking we're going to go back, I don't think things are going to work out, you know, like that. I think you know nothing will ever be the same. Do you guys agree? I, I would definitely agree, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to remember the name. The, the name of the book, but a similar analogy where the, the first line of the book was everything was the same until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. So um, I, I definitely think that right now institutions are trying to find their, their their footing with regard to are we offering online, continue to, and the, the other 
other piece of that that's key is, um, you know, the accreditation agencies were really supportive in that they had exceptions that for schools that weren't approved to offer online um, that, yes, absolutely. And so some of that will be pulling back as, as well as we get into this year. So um, that will also have an impact on who can offer online as well. Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the big things that institutions, the, the starting place, right? We all got these approvals um, to do online um, when maybe we didn't have them before. So are we going to continue that? And I hope the answer for all institutions is that they find a way to keep some of the great things that um, online education brings to us, whether it's being able to do more of the flipped classroom type model, whether it's more hybrid education. I am a huge proponent of hybrid education, especially for career colleges, because then the students can come in, they do their hands on the, you know, the really fun stuff, but then at home, they can do the things outside of the classroom um, that maybe they don't need to be in front of an instructor for, but this is perfect timing for everyone to really assess their programs and how much online they want to have. Um, I do know that a lot of schools who were even trying to move to online backed off or trying to back off from online because they saw with the pandemic that fully online, we didn't really have the best outcomes at times. Maybe more students were failing. Maybe more students were struggling. So fully online may not be the answer either. And so I know at my institution, for example, we're backing off. We're coming back to the campus. But I think our biggest thing we learned, and it's actually in this report, is that there's more people going back to synchronous online education, even if it's once a week for an hour or two hours, but sometime with the instructor and the students, whether it's a Zoom call, whether it's a collaborate, whether it's a Skype, whatever it is, but some sort of synchronous time for those instructors and students to interact. So as leaders, we just have to make that decision. Where are we going? Right. And you, you bring up a good point, Elizabeth, in that we did see some um, hits on retention, you know, it varies according to institution over the last year. And part of that was, you know, the, the training for both faculty and students with online is so key, right? So we didn't have a lot of time, like a lot of institutions, like you're just like, get up there and have a Zoom call on your, your LMS and, and uh, do what you can do. And faculty were really innovative and creative and some that, you know, were not technology uh, proficient. And so that that support mechanism as institutions consider what their future with online looks like, whether it's fully blended or hybrid, that it's really important to support faculty with training and, and students as, as well. Those are the things that, that can also have an impact on retention. And Nicole hits right on my favorite topic that we keep coming back to on the Higher Ed podcast, and that's training, right? Training and onboarding. Um, I will, I talk about it till I'm blue in the face and Nicole's 100% right. We we muddied through it. We got through it. Instructors created awesome things. And now it's time to share the learning that they all had and train each other. Um, I know institutions that I'm talking to, they're, they're holding more um, online seminars or, or in-services for their instructors so that they can share the practices that they learned. We have um, more need for onboarding. If you brought in an LMS or a student information system or something that you never had before, now we need to train those instructors on you did the things you had to do. Now, what else can these systems do for us to continue to improve their education? Add to that training students, onboarding of students. It's a foreign concept for a lot of students to log into a classroom, to have to set a time to, oh, I have to be on the computer. I have to be in front of my phone. I have to have my headset ready to go. So it's also the onboarding of students as well. I, I would agree. And that time management piece also 
also becomes, I think, more critical for both students and, and faculty teaching because for, for students, I mean, you're going to have times when things are due online and, and faculty, it's really important that, um, you know, their feedback is, is not only timely, but um, also is substantive in moving the student forward and, you know, enabling them to, to learn, learn and, and grow. You know, another, another piece that was really interesting over the, the last year with, with online programs, and especially as you mentioned, Elizabeth, three colleges is some of these programs that um, are, are not really set up to be on, like take an HVAC program. Like, how do you do that? And I saw some really creative things. Like you normally HVAC, the only way you do that is you're you're in the, the, the lab and you take the refrigerator part, right? And But I saw some extremely creative things with very hands-on programs like that, where, you know what, an instructor can take a, a video of, here's how you take this part of the refrigeration unit apart and, and diagnose. So I think there's a lot of creativity happening out there as well that, that you mentioned, you know, we need to really capture that and see how that can be used going forward. On the, the online space for things like online simulations and adaptive learning, um, this just goes to show all those people that are at the forefront of creating those types of applications or simulations are on the right track because we need the ability for students to be able to practice even if they're coming to the classroom. They still need to be able to practice at home what they're learning in the classroom. Um, and when you have a program like medical assisting or something like that, it's easy. You go home and you practice taking temperatures. You practice doing blood pressures. You, pr you can practice those things. But when it comes to HVAC or other programs, it's a little harder to practice some of that stuff. Um, one of the cool things I think that came from the move to needing online, but then coming back to the classroom is realizing that we can get a lot of small group labs in with um, simulation materials. Our school, one of our schools, bought HVAC simulation modules. And so the students still have to come to the campus. They still have to do it, but we can break them up into smaller groups and they can all be working on these different things that give them feedback and the red light goes off and the green light goes on. And it really helps the students see what's going on. So I think that was a great part of this huge shift to online education that we have coming back to the classroom, figuring out how to continue using the technology that we have in and outside the classroom. Yeah, I think it's probably a big difference between institutions that were kind of just, you know, doing a hybrid or online just to get through it because they thought, you know, hey, it was a challenge and we've got to figure something out as opposed to the institutions, you know, to Liz's point that were, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's what we're doing. And then once we go, you know, kind of get out of this situation and necessity, how do we institute or inculcate these things so that we can add value to the experience moving forward because of all of the things that we learned out of necessity, if that makes sense. I think one of the big, another big area um, that we saw from the Chloe report that's going to go into future years is about the investment in online education. You can't just buy an LMS and create courses and then use those in perpetuity. You have to be updating them and revising them and getting your instructors to keep making changes to them. So the schools that do continue, whether it's some or all online education, we need to keep reinvesting into not only training for instructors, but the, the LMS itself, um, the products that we're using with them. Maybe we find more ways to integrate all of our products and not just use an LMS, but maybe you also use some sort of like publisher website that now can integrate with that LMS, or you find another adaptive learning product that can interact with your LMS. But if we're going to keep moving in that direction, which the Chloe 
OE report is saying that more institutions are going to keep their online um, their online courses and programs, that we need to keep that investment going. Um, investing in the human capital of people who understand online education. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more, like, let's call it job postings for things like an online chief academic officer or an online VP of academics. And that's so exciting to see for people like me who are like, this is the direction, you know, we have a lot of opportunity here. So I'm glad to see the investments are being made, not just at the level of the course, but the investment in the leadership to keep the courses moving forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, in my consulting business over the last 10 years or so, I've gone through LMS conversions, I've recommended LMSs to institutions, and there's no right LMS for any institution. But as you mentioned, Elizabeth, it is a multi-million dollar in- endeavor. And schools that try to sort of halfway do it or partially do it and don't have training for their faculty and just are looking at it as we have a retention problem here. Let's just do online. I hope it fixes everything. Um, is is a dangerous kind of road road to go down. Um, uh, so it is really important that it's not only the initial investment, but ongoing investments in products that help students learn and help faculty teach as well. And your partnership with publishers becomes key. Um, some of them are really good with technology products. Other publishers are, are not so so great. And they'll all tell you, yes, of course, this LTI integrates. <laughs> it works seamlessly. And then, then, and, and, and then we see what happens. So. Um, so really important is that investment, as you as you mentioned, sustained um, on ongoing investment. So what are the first what are the first three out of the 11, uh, Nicole? Do you have it? Do you have it uh, readily available? I do, because I am that prepared. <laughs> Number one, higher education is more agile than most anyone had previously believed. Ah, OK. All right. Agile. I like that word. It's an important word for higher education or any business, right? I mean, we saw. Um, you know, the, the entire restaurant industry, not to go off task here, but um, some restaurants were extremely innovative and did better in the pandemic than, than not. And so I think for higher education institutions, some, you know, they got done what they needed to do to, to get through, but others sort of looked at it as um, here's a challenge, we're, we're changing whether we want to or not. And so that, let's embrace it. And I think anybody that had a strategic plan for 2020 is out the window, brings up another topic, how scenario planning can be so much more effective than strategic planning. Um, So Elizabeth, what have you seen as far as agile uh, institutions? Well, it's one of those things that um, online education has been around for a while. It's not like it's a new thing, right? But because of the pandemic, because of everything happening in 2020, it became this disruptive innovation that some schools didn't have before. So I would encourage people that if you haven't done it already, um, go read Clay Christensen's book, um, Disruptive Innovations. It's a great book, but it's something that we've got to keep thinking differently and how to keep moving. And um, some schools have been better about it than others. And so we need to keep that agility. We need to keep moving and not get stagnant in what we've been doing. Um, Even those who are excited by change, we need to make sure it's changed for the right reasons, but we keep moving in that direction. So I definitely encourage people to read up on what are the new things that are coming so you can stay agile and not just, you know, stay stagnant where we are now. Well, I think it's it's a similar situation to what happened with remote workforces, right? Like for years, we thought, no, everybody needs to show up at the campus every day to do their job. We can't, you know, we can't go on any other way. And we were forced to go on another way. And um, 
you know, I've been working remotely for 10, 15 years and managing remotely. So, um, you know, I think institutions are also looking at that, that piece in, in conjunction, right? Do we go back to, you know, all physical spaces or some sort of hybrid solution for the workforce there? Um, so lots of questions being asked in, in that perspective as well. Did you guys find, I guess, the agility of higher ed surprising or, you know, based on your experiences, your clients and things of that nature, would you have guessed this, you know, a year or two before this actually happened? Um, well, for, for, for me, I would say a lot of how agile the institution was and how well they did during that time period, a lot had to do with leadership. So if, if you have, you know, a, a leadership team that, you know, just nobody can do their job unless I'm watching them in the office next to me, that kind of perspective, those institutions didn't, didn't do as well. But I think it's really an opportunity for, for leaders to step up and, you know, change happens whether we want it to or not, right? And embrace, you know, what they needed to do and kind of um, move teams forward, be authentic in their, you know, okay, I'm not sure where this is going either, but we're, we're in this together. So I saw that institutions that had better situated leadership teams do do a little bit better than others. And I would agree with Nicole on that. I mean, we saw some institutions caught completely flat footed by the pandemic and, and not know where to go, not know what to do, um, didn't really have a direct direction, but it was because they didn't have leadership that was able to pivot and say, okay, well, let's start. What can we do first? What can we do second? We're not going to figure it all out at the same time. So I think the thing that we can keep doing is, um, Nicole mentioned something about, you know, scenario-based or situational um, uh, planning. We can't plan for everything, but if we can know how to start somewhere and then keep making improvements, that's going to be super beneficial and keep us agile and help schools who maybe weren't uh, become better in the future. What's the the next one what's number two the pandemic the pandemic will accelerate online learning growth ah, okay happened <laughs> <laughs> happen continues happening. Um, you know, we see a lot of schools that are even trying to contemplate what other programs they could bring into an online space at this point now that they kind of figured it out uh, during the pandemic. But that said, I think we are going to keep seeing the, the growth itself. But I also think a lot of people are going to be reinvesting in their brick and mortar in their labs in the ways to do things on campus as well, but maybe do it differently. Maybe we still can have flexibility for students without it being a fully online situation. Um, and so I think that's going to help as well, because that's online. The number one impetus for online almost has always been flexibility for students, giving students the ability to go to school when maybe they couldn't because they're working a full-time job during the day and taking care of children at night. Um, but it, it gives us a lot of opportunity. So so, so you could, do either one of you guys think that at some point the ground will be done outside of trades and it'll just be online? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think it'll ever fully go away. Um, the ground experience. There are people who love that ground experience, right? They love coming to class. They love, so is it going to go away completely? I can't say that it's going to go away completely, but I think we're going to force more and more students outside their comfort zones and force them into online and hybrid scenarios. Nicole, it seems you disagree. You know, I, I wouldn't disagree. I just, I don't know if I'm confident. Um, there still may be physical 
spaces that just may look different, right? I think we've seen a lot of um, the workforce where you have, uh, you know, Verizon or whatever, you have a mini campus at your workforce, so it's convenient for students. We may see in the future where, um, you know, if I wanted to take one class at, at Penn State and I wanted to take my, my next class at Harrisburg Community College where you have sharing of spaces um, between colleges right now and, and mainly just historically due to competition, right? You're either going here or you're going going there. I think there is opportunities there in the in the future where there could be shared spaces for, for, for students. Um, so while I do think there will be some physical spaces continued in the future, I'm not sure that they'll be totally isolated to this is my college space. I think and I hope it becomes more about the student where whereas if I, I, I get to it's my you know it's my uh, money going to the institution so I should be able to choose I heard that you know Penn State had an excellent sociology class so I want to take that here and I want to take that there so. I think it's going to be Pennsylvania is going to be um, a kind of interesting um, uh, thing to watch because there's been all the talk about um, reducing the number of like chancellors and presidents of schools and combining them regionally right and I think with that kind of combination you're going to see those shared spaces shared students a shared mentality so I would agree with Nicole that it's it's going to look different I don't think it's going to be you know a classroom setting where everybody's sitting in rows staring at a professor and all 40 50 100 students are in a classroom together um but it, it, it will look different I just want to interject really quick I want to make sure that the audience understands that I did not pay Nicole to say anything about Penn State <laughs> it so happened that she decided to select the greatest school in the world that I graduated from this was not orchestrated uh at all you know so I just want to make sure that the audience knows that um but yeah I mean I definitely could see a reality or a future where the number of colleges that we have goes down significantly if not um you know like you said kind of networks and, and and shared you know um um spaces and you know regional conglomerates you know that I mean they even talk about that in a uh, uh, college football where you know narrowing it down to a couple conferences and you know so I could see that I, I could definitely see that um you know in the future but I, I mean it's interesting because I could also see a reality where everything's online and you know you pay to see these extraordinary lecturers speak at certain spaces but you know because of what the world has turned into from a time standpoint and a space standpoint and an innovation standpoint um I don't know I, I just I just wouldn't rule it out you know there was a time when you know we, we read books and now all of a sudden people are doing all of so um I can't remember the last time I read a physical book but um well then you got those crazy saying. people like me that I went on vacation and I took my I took my handy dandy book with me you know <laughs> sure for sure what's the third one Nicole? all right so local is still where it's at for most schools even in online programs and to break that down colleges and universities seem to recognize that competing with national online brands is exceedingly difficult but there is strong demand in their local and regional areas for online options yeah you, you take a look at like the regionally accredited schools um that and smaller you know traditional type universities that they've got a great um long history in their areas and they've been trying to reach out and bring students to them right come to our campus come see us come from california to ohio or ohio to florida um so there's still that local branding that local feel that local you know i'm going to this school um and they're going to keep reinvesting in that but the online options are, are going to just accelerate the number of students that they can serve. Um, maybe they can split classes 
resources and and have some of it online and have some here and maybe even partner with schools across the country to use their spaces for, hey, we, we've got 20 students in the state of uh, Florida that are going to our school. Can we use this school space for, for a night or a, a lecture or something? So um, that local identity um, is still important for a lot of people. Right. And I think this gets a little bit to, to marketing and Kamara, this is more your, your area than, than, than ours. But I, I think for some students, the, the draw is sort of the, the local, like, this is my college. I can see it. I can see the brand. And there, there have been some bigger institutions that had a lot of campus presence. They don't necessarily have a lot of campus students anymore, but they keep that presence in the local community. They bring them in and then they're like, okay, you can take two classes at this campus, but the rest you have to take online. Um, but I do think for, for a certain student, student, the appeal is there that I, I want that localized in my community. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, we'll see. I mean, because there's definitely things that we hold on to, you know, just like Liz and her books, you know, some people still Absolutely. have records, you know, some people still have eight tracks, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and when we transition to EVs, you know, some people will still have ICE vehicles, you know, but how many of those people will it be, you know, when we get to a certain point? So I would say this is a perfect place to end it. Um, I'll talk to you guys offline. I'd love to talk about the other, what is it? Eight left. Yes. Um, maybe we can do three episode. Um, do you guys have any information or tips for the audience? You want to give them your Instagram, your LinkedIn, your how many different uh, uh, spaces is it now, right? Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth's going to share her book list if anybody wants to send her a physical yes. And you have to read these uh, from the hardback or paperback. You can't get them on all of them. No, I, exactly. I'm on, on, on LinkedIn, um, you know, if anyone would, would like to connect, but this has been a, an awesome discussion great way to 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 end my week and i enjoyed the time with you elizabeth and, and Martha. absolutely are you in montana right now who me <laughs> yes you <laughs> montana yeah because of your background yeah it's funny you mentioned montana i just came back from montana so first thing i'll tell everybody with all the craziness that's been going on go on vacation um <laughs> but sure. secondly just like nicole said um you can find me on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Fogel, um, F-O-G-L-E. Happy to talk to anybody if you need help, questions, guidance. You know, that's what we do. Appreciate you guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.